All right, so we are continuing today in Mark chapter 2. It's where we left off last week. And when we left off last week, Jesus was eating dinner at Levi's house. He was hanging out with disciples and tax collectors and sinners, so described. Uh, While they were there, Jesus' disciples were confronted by the Pharisees. And they asked them, why does your master eat with these types? And Jesus stepped in and he answered for himself and he said, they are who I'm here for. And now I bring up that passage because it's likely that the message from today shares the same context. It's possible that as we continue reading, we're going to be still talking about events that happened during that mealtime. And I say possible because there is some debate about the when and the where of what is recorded next, but there's really good reason to believe that verses 18 to 22 did happen at Levi's house, and then verses 23 to 28, they refer to another situation that simply supports the theme, and that theme is seasons. More specifically, perceiving the change of seasons and then intentionally responding to the change. So times and seasons it is, that's what we're talking about today. So depending on your generation or your sort of taste in music, that song actually might have shaped your experience, your like concept of seasons. Uh, I know the recording seems dated and it is, but it's like definitely somewhere in the soundtrack of my life and that actually probably just says a lot more about my shelf life. Um, But more ancient than that tune is actually this poem and maybe this influenced you at some point in your life and I'll just read it in part. For everything there is a season, a time for every matter under heaven. I'll skip down. A time to cast stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. And before that was this set of instructions concerning the times and seasons of work and rest. And I'm going to skip here too. For six years you shall sow your field, and for six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in its fruits. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. You shall not reap what grows of itself in your harvest or gather the grapes of your undressed vine. It shall be a year of solemn rest for the land. And before that, this rhythm was established. On the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy 
because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now, maybe you haven't marked time or season biblically, at least not consciously so, and that's fair. So maybe this hits closer to home for the sake of the podcast. This is just the New Yorker doing their, doing their best to let us know about the people of fall. You can decide if you fit in there. Or maybe this is more up your alley, happy pumpkin spice latte season. And in any case, in all of this, there's this sensibility about how to engage seasons. Spring and fall, lemonade and pumpkin spice, ebb and flow, work and rest, graves and gardens, they're all part of a divine dynamic, mostly all. Some of that's just really excellent marketing, but I would still argue that even that adopted flavor of fall is rooted in a larger force. And the dynamic force is this rhythm that was established at the outset of creation and then experienced ever since. And experienced, I think, is the key term here. Humanity is called into a dynamic and we're meant to live into this larger movement. Sometimes to roll with it, sometimes to embrace it, sometimes to be enveloped by it, but always understanding moments and intervals on a grand continuum. So time goes on, seasons past. We shift from tank tops to hoodies and back again. We live and grow, we pace ourselves, or not, Paul. Uh, We age and we're replaced. Our hope extends to eternity. The next generation carries on. And I see a beauty and a comfort in that continuity. I see continuity and pattern even, but not rigidity. Like I know that day will follow night, but sunset is not the same today as it will be on the 3rd of November. And I know that a bud precedes a flower, but I can't be certain on what day it will bloom. And I know that I can wear Ugg boots in October, but I'm not sure when I have to stop wearing shorts with them. Well, (laughs) Bonnie would say, now, please never. (laughs) But my tolerance is like 60 degrees, so sorry. So there are patterns, even large-scale predictability, definitely seasons to life. But within the grand scheme, there's also flux and circumstance to pay attention to. So for example, yes, coffee shops have told us that it's pumpkin spice latte season, but it was 103 (laughs) degrees in Escondido last week, and I am sorry, but that is cold brew weather. Just because a certain spice drink is only available from September to candy cane season. And just because we've come to expect that we will consume it on schedule, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't break the routine when clearly some tasty iced drink is what the moment calls for. At least that's what Jesus said. Something like that. (laughs) So listen to this from Mark 2. John's disciples and the Jewish leaders sometimes fasted, that is, went without food as part of their religion. One day, some people came to Jesus and asked why his disciples didn't do this too. 
Jesus replied, Do friends of the bridegroom refuse to eat at the wedding feast? Should they be sad while he is with them? But someday he will be taken away from them, and then they will mourn. Besides, going without food is part of the old way of doing things. It's like patching an old garment with unshrunk cloth. What happens? The patch pulls away and leaves the hole worse than before. You know better than to put new wine into old wineskins, they would burst. The wine would be spilled out and the wineskins ruined. New wine needs fresh wineskins. Okay, that's not actually latte related, but Jesus was saying something really important about times and seasons here, about rigidly clinging to old ways when times are changing and new responses are called for. In this passage we just read, Jesus was asked to explain why his disciples were enjoying a meal on a day prescribed for fasting. Now remember, that conversation probably happened at dinner at Matthew's house. And that night, the Pharisees had already asked Jesus' disciples why Jesus didn't follow the law, why he ate with sinners. And here they attack the other corner, asking Jesus why his disciples don't follow the law, why they don't fast. It's actually like the Pharisees are just splitting the room, creating drama. And just for the sake of background information, it's not that the disciples were breaking a divine law or a command. It's that they're just not observing a custom or a spiritual practice, which was the expected routine of Pharisees and their disciples, and which was the common practice of John's disciples. So the question was why? Jesus, why are your disciples eating dinner? And Jesus' answer was something like, because this is my party. It's 103 degrees, and that's just not the right time for a latte. It's as if to the teachers of the law, Jesus said, yes. Today is the day that you set aside to practice your faith in a certain way. But look, I am here today. I am the heartbeat of this faith. I am present, and my presence changes things. And my presence calls for celebration. And celebration means feasting with me wherever and whenever I am. So seize the day. Embrace the new thing I'm doing, says Christ, because this moment will end. And then, when you feel my absence, that will be the time to fast and to mourn. When I'm gone from you, that discipline that you cling to, the thing you do to draw near to me, will be meaningful again. You know, like when there's a cold snap and a hot drink does hit the spot again. So Mark recorded these events and these conversations from dinner at Levi's. Jesus was put on the spot, and he had to account for his ways, and he had to answer for his disciples' practices as well. But it seems like this wasn't a one-off conversation. In fact, Mark follows up here with a similar interaction that shares the teaching point. Another time, on a Sabbath day, as Jesus and his disciples were walking through the fields, the disciples were breaking off heads of wheat and eating the grain. 
Some of the Jewish religious leaders said to Jesus, they shouldn't be doing that. It's against our laws to work by harvesting grain on the Sabbath. But Jesus replied, didn't you ever hear about the time King David and his companions were hungry and he went into the house of God and they ate the special bread only priests were allowed to eat? And that was against the law too. But the Sabbath was made to benefit man and not man to benefit the Sabbath. And I, the Messiah, have authority even to decide what men can do on Sabbath days. So here again, Jesus is with his disciples and they're challenged by Pharisees because once again their practice of hanging out with Jesus breaks the mold. Now, earlier we read in Genesis 2 that God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. And that rhythm was later codified in the Ten Commandments as remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. But that command, which had at its heart the centrality of worship and of communion with God, came to be fitted with all kinds of legal limits on physical labor. In this case, it resulted in equating just the plucking of grain to nibble on while walking through a field with Jesus with the work of harvesting. So there's the teachers of the law, and they're griping about the legal aspects of the Sabbath practice, saying that Saturday is not the appropriate day for so-called work, to which Jesus said, hey, the Sabbath is mine, and I'm making it new, and your old rules are out of order. I'm doing a new thing with Sabbath, says Jesus. Watch this. Walk with me, stay, enjoy the grain today, because I am present. Remember what it is to center on me. Break the chains of limiting practices and free your hearts for me. Reclaim the Sabbath I intended for you as a day for us to commune together in refreshing, even surprising ways, like try an espresso, have a glass of water, but let your thoughtless habits go and get the thing you're craving. Now there's an irony to all these confrontations, and it's worth pointing out. In each case, the laws or the religious practices in question were put in shape, put in place to shape God-fearing people and to affect their righteousness. But in the very presence of Christ, the righteous one, the Pharisees preferred the law to his self. They chose practice over presence, and in so doing, they missed their moment like it was daylight savings time, but they didn't set their clocks back, and they kept missing sunrise. When Jesus was asked about his ways and practices, he repeatedly laid claim to the season, the day, the feast, the wedding, the Sabbath, the walk in the field. Each time asked, Jesus answered that his presence superseded the law. The law was only there as a placeholder for his presence. In the person of Christ, God broke into humanity And that new work demanded a new response. A personal encounter with Christ had never been on the menu before. But for a limited time, 
there was a signboard in Israel, and it said, today's special. And Jesus chalked some choices in. Stay with me for a moment. Stay for a walk, a dinner, a chat, a touch. You see, Jesus was the one being offered, but he was also the one asking, what can I get started for you? What can I get started for you? That's an amazing, just open-ended question. Think of all the opportunity that presents, all of the life-giving possibility. Through incarnation and the life of Jesus, the law and the prophets are fulfilled, and a new covenant relationship with humanity was started. And that relationship was rooted in love and nurtured in fellowship, and it meant that walking together and eating together and celebrating were all appropriate, even preferred activities, all made sacred by the presence of Christ. They still are. It's still a way of engaging Christ. Now, three of the staff here meet every week. We do sermon prep, but we also talk a lot about coffee. Like, a lot. (laughs) I don't even drink coffee, but that doesn't matter because we're talking about coffee as an event, like a, a way of togetherness. Now, a foundational ethic at GP was the concept of merging sustenance and fellowship. In the early days, the church gathered around soup, and later the focus was pour-over coffee, like high-quality, painstakingly made (laughs) cups full. And the time and the process of pour-overs was intentional. The event of coffee was an exchange. It was this moment fostering hospitality and familial love. And Raina and Tiffany have made that happen as a gift of service for years for everyone who's come through the doors or who's called GP home. Well, COVID interrupted that. It's a cold and brutal season that we've been through, but we're shifting again. We're together again, and we want to practice presence again. A year of isolation taught the worldwide church that holding rigidly to old forms and formats can be a death knell. Everyone found out that Christ had never been confined to the walls until noon on a Sunday, and ancient liturgies can be revised. Shocking, but good news. So the staff and the board here took time out to consider our ways and practices, too. And we all still agree that worship, discipleship, sustenance, and fellowship are core to our growth, and to our part in Christ's mission. And even I agree that the coffee cart is base camp for that. But we've also come to believe that it's not enough that a scattered few can grab a cup of coffee at 1020, and it didn't fit anymore to pause mid-service. Now we think that the season we're in calls for more. More time, more people present, more space to reflect, more chance to just sit and linger and be refreshed. You know what, speaking of that, we'll invite Matt back up too, because he's such a big part of this. So beginning today, instead of the service ending with just this habitual hurry to leave, we're going to shift from worship to waiting. 
And we're inviting everyone to just wait that last five minutes together. So for now, coffee will be served near the end of the service time. It'll still be served with love, but without the morning rush. And conversation will still be encouraged, but without concern for quiet time. And cold brew is on tap. And we'll still give everyone a prompt for discussion, but that's an option too. Like maybe you just want to ask someone to lunch, or do you want to deep dive theology? Just do that. However you use the time, we do hope that you will try out this pause in some way. If you prefer to remain seated to enjoy extended music or prayer, that's beautiful too, because all of this is about continuing to experience Christ and his presence. And you know best whether that's with company or with coffee. So let's get ready to shift to something new. The prompt today is how pumpkin are you? And your goal is to find someone who will pull this up, uh, the pumpkin loveometer. And there's a Twitter uh, address on there. And just chat with them. Be present. The coffee cart is open in the living room, and you are all invited to stay a while. There's nothing better than you, Lord, there's nothing. 